This morning we'll be in the 21st chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. And so if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open with me there. In the midst of the political climate in which we live here in America, um, I, I, don't, I don't know which side of the aisle, so to speak, you stand on. Um, my assumption is, is that for most of us, we have this, this, this idea that if like, if we get the right person, uh, I didn't start up there yet, I'm sorry, thank you. My assumption is for most of us, right, if we didn't get the right person in power, or if we could maybe get the right person in power, then things would like just go perfectly, right? And so maybe given the last election, maybe you're convinced that things are headed more in that direction now, or it's possible that maybe you're on the other side of the aisle and you think that maybe things aren't headed there as much as you would like for them to be. Maybe even now you're posturing yourself, thinking like, well, what if local elections went this way or state or national elections went this way? And I think we have to be honest if we look at history. Like, I mean, history has, has had some great leaders, some people that have stepped on the stage. I mean, you, you think about Lincoln's, you think about um, Mandela, you think about Churchill or Gandhi, or the list goes on and on. But the reality is, despite these many great leaders and others that have stepped on the stage, is the reality is we're still here today desperate. We're in the midst of brokenness. My point is, guys, if we're waiting for someone to come on the scene to make things perfect or right or as we think they will be, we're going to miss it because the true King has already come. His name is Jesus. And the challenging part is here in Matthew 21, and as we're going to see, Lord willing, in the weeks to come, is that Jesus wasn't the king that for many of them that they wanted. At the least, Jesus wasn't the king that the people expected, not even his closest disciples. But I will say this. He was the king they needed. Today, I hope and pray that you leave reminded of this truth, that Jesus was not the king that we expected, but he is the king that we need. So this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I I want to help you and I look at Jesus. To behold, as in His words here, behold your King. To see our King, our ruler. And I think we'll be encouraged today to see who our King is. To bow and to say, listen, I don't have to keep waiting for a certain person to achieve some status or for my person to get there or for all my political views to line up. I can hope and trust in Jesus and no matter how desperate, how bleak things may look, I can hope and trust in Him. Church, behold your King. Matthew chapter 21, 1 to 17. The first truth that jumps out as Matthew begins to show us who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the humble king. Jesus is going to declare his kingship by riding in on a donkey. It's Sunday. It's what we know as Palm Sunday. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem to this fanfare, this welcome of celebration of Hosanna. Who is this one? Who is the one that's coming? And I think some things start to jump out in the first 11 verses. That this is indeed planned. That there's something prophetic happening. And then there's a major announcement that Jesus is making and Matthew wants us to see. So let's look first to how is this plan. Look what happens in verse 1 of Matthew 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. 
untie them and bring them to me. It's interesting, right? They are drawing near to Jerusalem, right? If you've been journeying with Matthew, right, this is not accidental. This isn't like Jesus all of a sudden saying to the guys, road trip, let's go, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Like if you've been walking with Matthew for the first 20 chapters, outside of just sharing about Jesus' birth, what you have for 20 chapters, for the vast majority, is three years of time. What you have for Matthew's last eight chapters is basically one week. Matthew is going to slow down so that we don't miss the details of what is happening in Jesus' life in this final week. It's an amazing moment. And if you've been with us, like back on Easter, we were in Matthew 20, 17 and 19. We heard the third of four times where Jesus makes this announcement that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He's going to be flogged and scourged and ultimately crucified and on the third day be raised again. But at the same time, Jesus has been sharing with the disciples and with us that he's actually the king. He's the Messiah. He's going to build his church. He is the Christ, the son, the living God. And the question is, how could this son of man, the Christ, the son of God, go to a cross and die? So we've been facing this tension just seemingly mounting. The disciples are struggling. And Matthew opens to say to us, guys, this is not accidental. This is planned. But not only is it plain, I think, secondly, Matthew shows us that there's a prophetic moment about who Jesus is as king. Listen to what Jesus says. He sends the two disciples, go, find the donkey, right, bring it back to me. Remember, they're again there um, outside of Jerusalem, um, likely there where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was raised from the dead, where they live. And so they're a little distance outside of Jerusalem, but they're riding in or walking in. If anyone says anything to you, he says, verse 3, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. The reality is we don't necessarily know, right? Is Jesus already arranged something again? Because this is an area in which he often travels through. So maybe he already had talked or maybe this is just his divine power being revealed. That he's sending the disciples and he's going to bring it about by his own power, right? Whatever the case is, it happens. Because look what Matthew says in verse 4 of Matthew 21. This took place. So this going to get the donkey was not accidental. It was planned. In fact, Matthew is going to say it's prophetic because he says it's to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He's going to cite Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, saying to these words, look what it says, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion's another word for Jerusalem, so say to the people in Jerusalem, what Jerusalem was, right? Jerusalem was a city for ancient Israel. Like it, it's the center of life, everything there. The temple's there, the priests are there, the sacrifice happened there, like everything happens in Jerusalem. So say to the daughter of Zion, say to my people, the heart of my people, so that everyone will know this truth all throughout Jerusalem, all throughout Israel, in essence, all throughout the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of the beast a burden. Jesus comes in, not accidentally, it's planned. In fact, it's prophetic. What's interesting about Zechariah chapter 9 is, is Zechariah 9 speaks of this time in exile where the people are in Babylonian captivity and they're wondering, like, will we ever get free from this? Like, will we ever go back to the promised land? Will things ever return back? Right? I mean, some of you, you're wondering that. Like, will things ever return back? Will there be a day when we're not wearing masks? Will there be a day when we're not having to live in the midst of all this? Will there be a day when things might resume and feel more normal? The people are sitting there in captivity in a foreign land. At least you're in your own land. They were in a foreign land. They've lost right their homes and their farms and their vineyards and, and their 
way of life and everything they've known, the temple, they're separated. Zechariah writes during this time, and he says, I want you to know there's going to come a day when God is going to deliver. He's going to bring his people back. But it's striking how God does that. God says that the one that's going to lead them back is going to be on a donkey. Like again, when you, I mean, you just think about the imagery for a moment, right? I mean, you, you assume like if you're in captivity, right, you're not going like if we're going to go to war today in America, my assumption is we're not going to ride in on donkeys, right? I mean, you're at least going to ride in on a horse. You're going to come in with power, guns blazing, so to speak. But God says there's going to be such a great deliverance from my people. The, the one that's going to lead them out, their king is going to lead them out on a donkey. Jesus is now fulfilling this, coming into Zion, saying, I'm coming to you, riding on this donkey. This is, in fact, the same way that David had came back in after his son Absalom had taken over. This was, in fact, the same way that when David had some of his sons fighting for power and he anoints Solomon to say, listen, or he says, Solomon's going to be the next king. Solomon comes on David's mule, riding back into Jerusalem. So everyone knows, okay, Solomon's the king. That's the background that's happening here. So the people of Israel are not going to miss it. This guy's riding in on a donkey. This is the king. Zechariah 9 is interesting, though. Look with me, if you would. Verse 10, he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Notice again, there's going to be a cutting off of the chariot, of the war horse, of the bow, right? And there's going to be this time of peace. All of this is coming about. But it's not by military power, right? It's just the work of God. This is like, this is an upside-down kingdom, right? I mean, you don't, you don't send in a donkey to do this. You come on a horse, you come in power and might, but God is doing something unique to say to everyone, this is my king. But how does this victory happen? Look what he says in verse 11 of Zechariah 9. As for you also, because of, here's the reason why, the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The victory comes because of God's faithfulness to his covenant. That's the reason. The people haven't been good enough in captivity to somehow like, oh, God's like, oh, now you're good. Now you can come back. Guys, the truth is, while we may not be prisoners in Babylon, we're all prisoners in sin. And the good news is the only way for you and I to be set free, to be saved, in essence, from the pit of of destruction, the pit of hell, is for the blood of the covenant, for God's own son to give his life for us. That's the hope. This is how it happens. Jesus rescues us from the wrath that is to come. Jesus saves you and I from hell and separation from God forever by his own blood, by his life. It's deliverance through death. It's hope through humility. So Matthew is showing us that it's plain, it's prophetic. But third, I want you to see that there's a pronouncement being made. Right? I mean, again, for 20 chapters, we've seen all kinds of interesting things unfold. Right, I mean, Jesus has been healing people. I mean, he's, he's opened the eyes of the blind. He's caused the lame to walk. He's even raised people from the dead. And constantly Jesus is doing this. Shh, don't tell anybody. Shh, don't make mention of it. And now all of a sudden something changes. It's, it's almost as if, imagine you're watching a play, right? And you see, keep seeing in the background these things happening. You're like, man, that looks really important, but why is it so quiet? And you see things over here happen. You're like, man, somebody was raised from the dead. Like, why is it so quiet? And now, boom, Matthew 
darkens everything else and the spotlight hits Jerusalem, the center, right? Passover's coming, everybody's there and bam, spotlight's on Jesus riding in on a donkey to say to us all now, what was once in secret I'm making known to you. I am the humble and true king. And he comes right into Jerusalem, right in there. What is the response of the crowds? Well, look what happens at verses 6 through 11. The disciples go and do as Jesus had directed them, and they bring the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And, right, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, what a moment. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. This is a sign of, of welcoming, right? When you do that, it's a sign of submission. They also begin to get out the palm branches, right? So we talk about Palm Sunday, and that's a way in which you would welcome some great military or some great figure into your city. This is what they're doing, right? They're welcoming him, inviting him in, and then listen to what begins to happen. And the crowds that went before him and those that were following were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! The word Hosanna is the word for save. It was a cry in the Old Testament when the people were in exile and in bondage and they had no way to free themselves and no way to overcome an enemy. They were crying out, Hosanna, save us. But it was also an acclamation to say to that one to whom you were crying out, we can't, but you can. They're saying, you, Jesus, you save us. You can save us, right? I mean, it's just this moment of hope. This son of David, this one they've been waiting for, this is him. But the truth is, he's not the savior they expect. Because the crowds, just like the disciples, expect that if a true son of David's going to come, if a true Hosanna savior is going to come, then he will throw off Roman oppression. And they'll be free. And they'll get back their nation again. They'll get back to doing things. And there won't be Romans walking the streets. Jesus isn't the king they expect. And the truth is, you've probably had to wrestle with that too, haven't you? The Jesus, the God, the Father, hasn't been maybe the king or the God that you at times expected or even wish he had. You prayed and that person didn't get better. You hoped that relationship would work out differently and it didn't. You thought surely now like God would help this situation with your child or that grandchild that you love and you've been crying out and like instead of getting better, it's almost at times seeming like it's worse. I mean, if we were really honest, like we're not that far from the disciples because sometimes it's really hard to wrestle with a God that doesn't always do like we expect him to do, like we wish that he would do. But it's this moment in which he comes in humbly that Jesus wins the victory, not through a crown, but through a cross. And isn't that amazing? Like he doesn't just take the crown and put it on him. He brings the victory not through the crown, but through the cross. I was reminded that sometimes things don't always work out this past, uh, as like, like we would expect them to. This past week, Emily had gone to pick up Pavey and she had stayed with my mom for a little bit. And they were riding back to Greensburg and, and she was just saying, Pavey, mommy missed you so much. And she's like, mommy, I missed you so much. And then she said, Pavey, I love you so much. And Pavey says, mommy, I love you so much. And then Emily says, Pavey, you are so beautiful. And Pavey responds, I'm so beautiful. <laughs> right? I mean, like, there's just sometimes things don't always pan out like we had wished, right? Guess what? Sometimes it works the exact same way with God. I mean, we thank Lord, if I prayed that prayer, uh-oh, sis, easy. Sometimes, right, we think if we prayed that prayer, then surely God will answer exactly like we expect Him to. We prayed the right words after all. 
I mean, I gave the offering. I gave this week when we couldn't or I gave sacrificially. God, we went on that mission trip when it didn't make sense. God, we, we kept serving, Lord, even when we were tired. And now this has happened? Sometimes it's just hard. Listen, when things don't work out as we had wished. But guys, I want you to have hope and to rest into this word right here. Back in verse 4. Look what it says. Or about verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. How? Humble. Three times in the New Testament this word is used. Matthew's used it in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. First Peter uses this word when it talks about women having this gentle and quiet spirit. And so the word can indicate meek, humble, gentle. Guys, that's Jesus. He doesn't come in ruthlessly. He's not rash. Like he's not exhausted by us. I mean, isn't it amazing that he rides in on this donkey, not pointing fingers, but opening his arms wide, saying, whosoever will may come. Isn't this a God that you and I can run to and embrace? A God of mercy and grace, a king who sees your faults and still pursues you. A king who knows your and my deepest failures and is still willing to forgive us. Guys, Jesus is the humble king. And he comes, and listen, he could come in his military might and he could force us to bow, but that would only be outward. Guys, Jesus may not be the king that we expect, but he is the king that we need. So Jesus comes in, and, and Matthew is showing us that he is the humble king, but secondly, he shows us that Jesus is the cleansing king. So Jesus declares his kingship by riding in a donkey. Now Jesus is going to declare his kingship by cleansing the temple. Listen to what happens in verse 12 and 13. And Jesus enters the temple and he drives out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Right? I mean, listen, you have to understand Passover is happening. People from all these other lands, all these other regions are coming. Right? And they got to make their sacrifices. The sacrifice, right, that's required is an unblemished lamb. So you're surely not going to bring a, bl- a lamb with you from miles and miles. They might get hurt or injured or something might happen, right? So you're not going to be able to bring the wood with you, all the oil that you need. So guess what? When you get to Jerusalem, you have to start buying those things in the temple. And then you have to pay a temple tax. And so they don't accept the, the Roman coin. They don't accept the Greek coin. You have to get the, the drachma, right, the Israelite, what their accepted usage was in the temple. And so that means you have to trade your currency for that currency. And here's what was happening is that there were religious leaders that saw the people coming to worship God and they were making money off of them. They were charging exorbitant prices for the animals or the wood. They weren't trading the money fairly, right? It's this moment in which they were making a profit off of worship. In essence, they were blocking the way to God. And here's what Jesus does. He comes in and cleanses all of that. He comes and removes all. It's a symbolic act, right? He's removing them, but he's saying, listen, no one will stand between God and his people. Isn't that good news? That he comes and he he removes the obstacles, every hurdle that might get in your and my way. Because listen, guys, we've got some hurdles, don't we? We've got some obstacles, some idols in our own hearts that we can't overcome. But there is good news. There is a Savior who comes to us. And he cleanses Right, it reminds me, right, of, of how like firefighters when they show up on the scene and thank God for firefighters, right, and they look at that burning home and there's obstacles, there's all kinds of reasons why you would not go into that home, right? It's on fire, 
You may not be able to get in that door. You may have to break down a door, break down a window. You may have to get on your face and crawl. You may not be able to see here, but here is what the issue is. There are people inside that home who need saving who can't get out. So somebody has to go in and rescue them. Guys, praise God this morning that you didn't have to come to church and think, do I have the right currency? Do I have enough money to afford that animal, that lamb? Did we have enough wood? Will they have enough oil today? Praise God that all we need is King Jesus. And he comes to save us. What hope? How does this happen? Right? I mean, Jesus is inviting all of us, right, to come just as I am. And he says to them, verse 13, it is written, right? If you don't know why I'm doing this, if you've wondered why I'm doing this, again, it's prophetic, right? It's just continually happening. It is written, my house should be called a house of what? Of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. Jesus quoting Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is important, right? Because the 56th chapter of Isaiah is all about looking forward to the kingdom of God coming, okay? And guess what? It's just a reminder that Jesus, if he's coming and doing this, he's saying, I'm the king. The king is here, right? It's just this important moment. But he quotes verse 7 of Isaiah 56. And, and we don't have it on the screen, but if you looked up Isaiah 56 and 7, it speaks about the fact that Jesus says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all what? You know, nations, for all people. See, God's people were designed to be the light to the lost world in the darkness. That's throughout the Old Testament. And guess what? They keep getting it wrong. But God says, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do something more than give them a law. I'm going to transform their hearts. I'm going to send my son to redeem them and cleanse them. And then I'm going to send my very Holy Spirit, God himself, indwelling us to empower us to change and live differently. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to know that my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, that all people might come in. I would love to tell you this is the only time in history in which the church somehow began to set up obstacles to people coming in. But if you look throughout history, places like the late 1400s, early 1500s, there was a pope of the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Leo X, he needed finances to build the new St. Peter Basilica, the new church there in Rome. And so there was another individual, a bishop, who wanted more power and authority over another land. And so he realized that if that bishop would pay him enough money, that would help him be able to support the, the project that he was wanting to do. And so they made him make a, make a deal. And here was the deal. That this bishop, and then begin, ultimately began to spread to others because they needed to pay the banks for the money they needed, could begin to preach things like this. Can imagine this from a pulpit today? The Roman Catholics believe in a place called purgatory. It's a place between heaven and hell that people go after death, which is not biblical. And here's what they were preaching, guys. They, pre they, they were preaching to the people that if you were willing to pay enough money, you could get that person out of purgatory and into heaven. And the people, can you imagine? What, what if you didn't know where your grandma or grandpa was? What if you didn't know where your child had gone? How, might, how much might you be willing to give? And the people began to give and give, and there's a way to support the finances they need to do. Guys, the church had become a den of robbers, and that was one of the things in which another mark where the Roman or, or the, the Protestant Reformation began to break away from the Roman Catholic Church to say, guys, this is not biblical. We cannot allow this. But I think we all need to ask, too, like, have we ever made the church a den of robbers? I mean, have you ever had moments where, like, you were just unwilling to pray? 
unwilling to pray for others, unwilling to witness, unwilling to share the gospel with that person because they look like that. Or right, We had a long conversation with our kids last night about picking up people on the side of the road and we've just been trying to wrestle through that with them. How does that look? I think the reality is we can all, at times, because of our sin, put things, roadblocks in the lives of others. I want to encourage us to come and look to Christ, to allow Him to cleanse our hearts, to transform us, that we ourselves will not put up roadblocks and things that make it hard for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus utilizes His kingly authority to say that God is open to whoever will. He's cleansing the temple. He's inviting all nations in. Again, guys, Jesus may not be the king we expected, but He is the king we need. I meant to put that up there. There's St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome. Third, Jesus is the healing king. So Jesus declared His kingship by riding on a donkey. He's declared that He's king by, by cleansing the temple, this prophetic moment from Isaiah 56. And now, in verse 14, Jesus shows us some other way in which He is king. He brings healing. Look what it says, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Guys, the blind and the lame, like this, it, these aren't people that have floaters in their eyes. This isn't somebody with a turned ankle. These are people that can't see and can't walk. And he heals them. That's how powerful he is. He's revealing his glory, that he's truly God. He's the king. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist was in prison, and John was struggling. Right? I don't know if you've ever had low points in your life where you just struggle. God, why am I here? Why is this happening? John the Baptist is even struggling. He's in prison. He sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus sent back to the disciples and said, Go and tell John this. The blind see and the lame walk. And he shares some more. But the point was this. If you see these things happening, John, know this. The king has come. I am the one. Haven't we been encouraged recently just to see God healing our people? What a moment for the church to pray and cry out to God and seeing some of our very own people healed and restored to health. Hallelujah. But the news gets better, guys. That this is just a glimpse of what Jesus is going to bring as king. I mean, can you imagine for a moment that, that what he did here on this small scale, he'll do to untold numbers, thousands upon thousands upon thousands in eternity? Can you hope in this that there'll never be another need for an insulin shot? Could you hope in this that there'll never ever be a consideration that you might need more chemo or more radiation or your child? Can you hope in this that there'll never be another mind that struggles with dementia, that's confused and struggling to remember? Can you hope in this church that there'll never be a time again when your eyes fail to see, struggling to see clearly? You'll never have a moment when you need to say, huh? Or what they say? Ears that hear, guys, this is Jesus. He's going to do for us our greatest need. Heal our sin. And if He heals our sin, He'll do everything else as well. The reality is that at times we just want a king that will heal us now. But guys, we have a greater king. One that will heal us for all eternity. His name is Jesus. I think the fourth thing that kind of the culmination that comes right, I think this is the high point of the text, is that all these things have unfolded and finally Jesus reveals himself as the true king as Matthew closes out this portion of Matthew 21. But verse 15 says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, 
and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. So again, you got chief priests, scribes, those who are responsible to, to keep things orderly, keep things right. They've seen everything that Jesus is doing. He's healing the temple. He's cleansed the temple. He's rode in on the donkey. People are crying out that he's the Hosanna, the Savior. He's the Messiah. And listen to this moment here. This, this is a moment, right? Listen to this. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? If you've ever wondered how in the world did Jesus end up on the cross on Friday, this is one of the key moments that takes place. It's Sunday. Palm Sunday. And Jesus has asked this question. This is a major question. You have to understand, this is a major question. Why? They're saying, do you hear what they say? You're in Jerusalem after all. Do you not know the temple's here? We already have Caiaphas, our high priest. Are you saying that you're a greater priest? Are you saying there's no need of the temple? If Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong, then there's no conflict with the religious leaders and he can go his way. They're also asking him another question. Do you not know that you're in Jerusalem? We have one king here. His name is Caesar. Are you saying that you're a greater king than Caesar? He's now in the crosshairs of the Romans who will accept no other king. Jesus is at a moment, a crossroads. He can deny all things, turn away and say they misinterpreted, misunderstood things. I'm not the true king. But if he, if he goes further, if he acknowledges this, this is the moment in which things just begin to ramp up majorly because he's entered Jerusalem and they're waiting for him. And Jesus says to them, yes. Yes. I am the king. I'm the Messiah. I'm the true son of David. I'm the healer of the people. I'm the Savior. I'm the rescuer. I'm the deliverer. I mean, that yes is so packed full. I'm the true king, not Caesar. I'm the great high priest, right? I am the only sacrifice that everything's happening here. Yes! If you've ever wondered, hear from Jesus' own lips, yes! And he says to them, have you never read? He cites Psalm 8, verse 2. Listen what he says. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have ordained praise. Psalm 8 is this psalm in which all creation is giving praise to God. Babies, infants, creation, people, creatures, everything, great and small, give praise to God. And Jesus steps right into that text and says, that's right to worship and praise me too. I am God. Guys, this is a moment in which is going to rest or begin to just again launch this week forward toward the cross on Friday. It's a moment, right, of just Jesus acknowledging. I want to be crystal clear here in the words of C.S. Lewis that Jesus acknowledging this means that he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Right, either he's lying, he's saying that he's, he's the true king and he's actually not. Maybe he's a loony, he's just gone crazy. Like, I mean, he's like, this dude thinks he's the Messiah, right? He thinks he's Jesus. He's not, he's not the Savior, but is it possible that he's actually Lord? Guys, that definitive answer will come one week from today in the text. The next Sunday morning when the Son of God, who has been crucified and buried on the third day, is raised again to declare to everyone, I am the King. I am the one true living God. What a moment. Jesus, the humble king, knows that nothing can rescue you and I except him laying down his life for us. Guys, this text leaves all of us today with one specific place. There is no middle ground. Hear me today. I want you to leave knowing this clearly. There is no middle ground. 
Jesus says, you either crown me or you kill me. You either worship me or you reject me. There is no middle ground, church. I want you to know that you're either with him or you're against him. So today I want to ask you, are you worshiping the one true king or have you rejected him, refusing to put your faith and trust in him? Today, I want to hear you and ask you the question, will you crown him? Will you acknowledge him as king? Or will you refuse him and have nothing to do with him? Church, there is no middle ground. And there is no middle ground for those out there who must hear the gospel this week from your very lips. Let us be faithful to go and share. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Jesus, help us see your true kingship. I pray it for your glory, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.